Welcome to Your Happy Place podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Ross. I am an entrepreneur and a real estate investor. Each week, we will be bringing you interviews about real estate investing, property management, and sharing inspiring stories. Are you ready? Let's get started. So today on the podcast, I have Scott Gannon back with me. He is a wealth strategist. And today we're going to be talking all about whole participating life insurance. Welcome back to the podcast, Scott. Well, thank you, Jenna. It's great to be back. Yeah, so we've got some uh, exciting updates to share with everyone. Um, So I think we'll go back to the beginning of your history of how you came to find out about whole participating life insurance. Sure thing. So so when I started in business back in 94, I started with Sun Life, which uh, you would think that I would have learned that back then. Uh, we had participating whole life uh, where I was, but it certainly wasn't, wasn't presented to me the way that I learned it later in life. So after I went through the hiatus of about 18 years of being an asset gatherer as, a, as a, basically a mutual fund salesman, if nothing else, I discovered almost by accident, I, pay, I basically paid to go uh, learn how to use certain calculators in Houston back in 2016, I believe it is, 2015 and 2016, whatever it was, and found out that participating whole life insurance, well, any whole life insurance actually, but the best the best way to do it is with participating whole life, uh, allows you to use the money and still keep it growing inside the policy. So in other words, creating that and asset effect or that $2, uh, $1 acting like $2. And um, yeah, so that's what, how it came to be. And once I got my head around that, it became, it became an obsession with me, basically. And can you describe some of the key benefits that you saw when you started using it? What did you personally um, find from it? Well, it, when it's structured properly... It's it's almost like a reallocation of your savings or a reallocation of assets. You if you have cash in a in a bank account, <clears throat> the bank account's re- earning next to nothing in interest, and it's um, uh, and it's taxable. Here, if you structure it properly, uh, you can put a huge chunk of money into these things, have a growing death benefit, as well as a growing cash reserve that can be leveraged into a, it basically become, it's liquid cash inside the the policy. So the key to understand how that works is it is a leveraging scenario. So you end up borrowing against the cash. You don't borrow the cash itself because then it would be gone. It would only be used once. You borrow against it. So you could withdraw it if you wanted to, but that doesn't accomplish the goal of having this you know, one dollar act like two. So that was the biggest benefit I seen was was I could use it as a protection mechanism. So that's one use for the dollar. You could actually put a disability waiver on it so that it would be self-completing. So your savings plan would finish if you passed, or sorry, if you became disabled, uh, it would finish up. And then, of course, the death benefit is the is the second use being, or the first use really is if you don't, you know, if you don't live long enough to do all the saving you want to do. The death benefit will kick in and it's tax free. 
but also that third benefit, that savings account is always tax-free. And when you use it, it becomes like a $1 acting like two. Why? Because that $1 that's inside the policy growing that you've borrowed against is still growing. And you can also use it outside the policy. So, so it's really, you know, it, right away, I just, I just named off four uses for the same dollar, really. That's a, I think that's one of the best ways I've heard you describe it. $1 acting like two, like that. <laughs> it, it is so complex. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, it's one of those um, sort of untold secrets. It seems to me like a lot of um, people in the medical community, they really tend to use it quite a bit. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a great secret to to wealth management. And um, and also, can you describe a little bit towards the like once your policy is funded and you're getting towards retirement and wanting to take some income? Can you describe a little bit about how that would work? Yeah. So so when you fund the policy, you you are building a cash reserve and a growing death benefit at the very same time. So when you fire money into it, which which I personally myself I put six figures more like you know it, it, six figures into separate policies every single year, and as they're growing, they're growing in death benefit and they're growing in cash value. So when it comes time for me, I don't. By the way, I don't I don't expect to rest on my oars, but you know if if health doesn't allow me to keep working. I think that's probably the only way I'll keep, I'll, I'll stop doing this because I'm pretty passionate. It's uh, becomes it's not so much a, a day job more than a passion income. So instead of a passive income, so so as you build this up, you can actually assign it. And I don't want to get it too too technical with that, how it works, but so essentially what you do is you take a series of loans against the policy in your retirement, and if you structure that properly, those loans or that income that you receive is completely tax-free. So if you, and you can pay interest or you can pay it back if you want, but for all intents and purposes, when you're in that retirement mode or that passive income mode, and you're just taking income, a lot of people don't even bother making payments. They just let it grow against the, the death benefit. So for, for lack of a better word, you're borrowing against your dead self. So, so if you have, uh, like, I'll use an example, like myself, I've got, uh, you know, north of $3 million in coverage. As of right now, there's probably about a half million dollars, eh, probably shy of that, probably about 400000 in cash value. You know, 10, 12, 15 years down the road, if I do decide to go against or to borrow against that, I'll probably have, you know, something north of a million dollars in cash and the death benefit will be about four or $5 million. So as I borrow against that, though, the cash and the death benefit are still growing. So even though I'm borrowing against it, I might say, okay, I'll take a thousand, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. And then that keeps building up and there's interest charged against the loan. Okay. But on the other side, so in the middle is the cash value still growing higher than the, the debt, as well as the death benefit is even higher again. So. Essentially, all you need to do is just keep spending until until you pass away, and then the death benefit tax free comes in, pays off the loan, and the rest gets paid to your beneficiaries or your heirs. So it's a self completing plan all around. Yeah, so it's uh, it's really powerful. It's a really powerful tool, and if people take the time to uh, 
to learn about it. And uh, it it's great. I think it's awesome that you're so passionate about it. You know, it's something that uh, I've been listening about this and listening to you speak about this. And, um, and so I'm, I'm jumping in to uh, check it out as well and really excited. And I'll be, uh, I'll be learning as I go. Um, and I think, that, yeah, every, every time I talk to you, I learn more about it and it's, it's really exciting. And for some of our listeners who are real estate investors, can you share a little bit about how, how that works when people have corporations and how it might work even better with that structure? Sure. So actually I'll, I'll, uh, I have three policies in my own name. They are all corporately owned and uh, that that's a whole other story in itself. It's just, it's more, it's more caught or more uh, cash efficient to use the corporation to pay for it. And there are mechanisms in place that still allow the money to get to your beneficiaries tax-free. It doesn't have to stay in the corporation. But to go backwards and say, okay, so where, how does a real estate investor use it to their advantage? Excuse me. Um, so there, I mean, there's several ways um, you can, when you have the capital, it's, it's as if you've got cash in a bank account. So if you can visualize, say, okay, well, if I'm going to go put uh, $50,000 into a $250,000 property or 20% down, that can be cash but it can also be cash value. So that cash value can be used as your down payment. So you'd be fully leveraged in, in effect because you board board against the, and, and incidentally, banks don't look at cash value of life insurance borrowing against it as borrowing for your down payment either. That's considered cash. Uh, it's on your balance sheet as cash. It's liquid cash, just like, just like what's in your bank account. So you, you put it in and then, like what I suggest to people is when you're actively building this portfolio out, then you endeavor to use the cash flow as part of your loan payback as well. Just like you would pay back, you know, if you had a private lender, you would be, you, you would, you know, you would endeavor to pay them back as quickly as possible. So consider yourself that your own private lender and pay yourself back as soon as you, as soon as you're able, because the more, the more you're able to pay, pay, pay back, the more borrowing capacity you just regain back. If that makes any sense. So if you had 50, yeah. Pardon? I said that makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had 50 and then next year it's 55,000, but you paid back 30 of it. Now you've, now you've got 35,000 available to you. Right. So, so it's kind of one of these things. And the beauty of these loans too, is this is really important for real estate investors is what if things go wrong? What if, what if something happens that you're, you know, you're making these, you know, two or $3,000 payments on this loan to get it out of the way. And something ha- or you know, an emergency happens or even another opportunity. Well, you can just stop. Like the, the payments are not obligated. You can just stop making the payments. And no bank's gonna let you do that. So the, the loans are way more flexible because they don't come with terms. They, the, there is an interest rate charged, but there's no payment, there's no payment or payback term. So, like, you know, there's no deadline to pay it back, and there's no and there's no payment set. You set your own payment. So much flexibility there, which is so important for for real estate investors. And um, the market's been really good and the conditions have been really good and our our vacancy rate has been low. But, you know, anything can shift. And, you know, so to have flexibility and um, feel like you have control and you're basically becoming 
your own bank is really exciting. So, yeah. So that's that you're saying use the word control. That was the biggest thing that kind of the, the light went on for me was the biggest thing was completely gaining control. I spent so much of my earlier years in my business not really being in control. Like people would hand me money. I'd, 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 I'd hand it off to a fund manager who's in control of it. Like not even the fund manager is, the stock market is. So, so you have this money in here. It's it's it, There's no reverse gear, by the way. So what I mean by that is as it grows, there's no such thing. Like if this is a market crash, this still goes, this does not go down. It, can, it only goes up. It's stable. Yeah. yeah. And the other part too is um, being able to take the money out tax-free versus an RSP savings, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's huge. Like the interesting thing is, and a lot of your listeners are quite familiar with Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And one of the things that he always talks about is the difference between the poor and middle class versus the rich. So he says the rich, why the rich do so much better than middle class is because they understand two things that are that most middle class can't even get their head around. And that is how to properly use debt and how to avoid taxes. Most middle class, like you say, the the, the, proverbial, the you know, the proverbial, the way, you know, everybody in, or Canadians generally were taught, you know, get a job, max out your RSP, pay off your house as fast as possible and everything will be fine. When in reality, what you're doing is creating a taxable situation with the RSP, eliminating debt that you don't need to eliminate that fast. So you, you understand that, like, you know, and, and you're, it's like you say, your real estate investors will understand this, you know, when they do a burr, right? They're doing a refi. There's, you know, if they're taking cash out, they go in and buy something for a hundred grand, put a hundred into it and, and then turn around and refinance it at 400 or whatever. I'm just throwing numbers around a little bit. Um, you know, all of a sudden they take cash out. It's not taxable. That's, that's, that's like giving yourself a hundred thousand dollar income tax free. So real estate investors and that, and this really marries to it because why? Because we are using debt very strategically and we're not paying taxes. Just like Robert Kiyosaki says, the two things that you need to be acutely really good at is understanding what it, it, how to use debt to your advantage and avoid taxes. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, when you put it that way, that's really brilliant. <laughs> You're a genius, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm, just a, uh, I'm just a student and still learning. Yes. So one of the things that, um, you know, for listeners just getting going and, and we've got some younger listeners and some younger investors, which I always find so cool. So for someone in their 20s, um, I feel like good good advice would be to get get some life insurance set up while you're young and you're healthy and it's relatively cheap. Um so that if they can't wrap their heads around this kind of, um, you know, this kind of policy just yet, just get something locked in um, and uh, and you're good to do that because uh, it gets trickier as you get older. And I kind of uh, I kind of realized that, too, just the difference because we had done a term policy a year ago and we had increased our term policy. And, you know, your health can, it can just fluctuate in a, in a year where you might be waiting on some tests and 
they want to, they want to make sure that you're healthy. So, um, you know, and you could risk at any point, something could come up that you, uh, that changes the game for you on the health front. So very important to get, get some term insurance going, um, when you're young, maybe even before you have a family or a lot of real estate investments by, by more than you think that you'll need for the, buy for the future. Right. Cause it's cheap. Yeah. It's very, yeah, especially, yeah. So terms just to address that, like all you're doing is buying, like you happen to have a, you, you could go buy like, you know, 25 years old. If you're a non-smoker, you could probably get a million dollars for about 20 or 30 bucks a month. Right. And it's practically nothing to lock in that coverage. So you're buying, you, you know, although you have the coverage in place, really all you're doing is ensuring your ability to be insured. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's so it, like, it's so important. Like, I mean, I had to change myself. Like I, um, it'll be two years ago in November, I spent four days in the hospital. That was a complete shock to me that, you know, they thought I had a heart attack and turns out I didn't, but, but still, um, I know that that is because I'm on cholesterol drug now and so on. I know that the next time I apply, which actually I'm going to do soon again, I'm going to be adding to my, or hopefully will, but it's, I'm going to be running. I'm going to be having to jump through some hoops to even figure out if I can be insured as a, at a standard rate. Why? Because I have heart history in my family and so on. So, right, yeah. So that's I think that's really great advice. And um, now, from what I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it because a lot of young people starting out, they'll buy a, they'll get a mortgage and they'll get the life insurance policy on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. Like if you, if you had nothing and you quickly, you know, got your life insurance there, that would be, that would be good. But do you think the value is better in locking in the term insurance because you're kind of insuring your risk for, for the future to be able to have it versus you might sell your house in three to five years? Right. And then you're one. Yeah. 100%. But you don't even have to sell your house. What if, what if, what if you, what if you renewed your mortgage in five years time and you were at, let's just say, I don't know, whatever Scotiabank. Uh, and all of a sudden RBC is offering you a better rate. You're like, Oh, I want to move to RBC. Well, what if your health changed? Right. You have to reapply for the insurance. Right. Right. So, 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 so it's not, and by the way, you don't own that insurance. When you, when you insure through the bank, you, you don't own it. You, it's, it's like a group policy. You're, you're just, you're just a, an insured on the master contract, which is owned by the, the bank. You, you should always have mobile insurance for that. And what I mean by that is own it yourself and then you can move it. And especially for real estate investors, I mean, they're going to be the, you know, the idea here is to build a real estate portfolio. So you're going to be expanding your debt and expanding your real estate holdings over time. So, you know, grab something, grab something probably bigger than you need at this point in time and, and get like, you know, I always deal with actually, it's kind of funny. I said, I use the word need because I always tell people, you know, get what you want, not what you need. You know, people will buy what they want. And if you, if you want to have $5 million of, of real estate in 10 years of time, 10 years time, or, you know, and that computes to say $4 million of debt. Uh, you know, then maybe you should go out and try to get 4 million. Now, again, insurance companies will only insure you so much based on your age and your income, but you can certainly probably make a case for it. Right. No, that's great advice. So let me know um, what you've been up to on the, the real estate investing side. Is there any projects that you're personally looking at these days? 
Uh, well, I've got, I've got my, uh, I got, I guess I got my, my, um, toes in, uh, four different pools, I guess, so to speak right now, uh, bought a cottage last September, uh, year round. It's a year round house in Parley beach. And we, uh, we used it a couple of weeks this summer, but we rented it weekly in the summer and we rented things monthly in the winter. So since then, but since the, I guess first of April, I've done two private loans, and I've also been a um, I'm a passive investor in a in an apartment building. So, so that has all been used. Uh, that's all been cash from life insurance policies that I did all those deals with. So I'm fully leveraged on the loans, and again, I could go into the numbers, and uh, but I won't. Good. But the numbers, the, the private lending numbers are, are really off the charts when you understand how how you make money by using someone else's money. And, uh, and I know you've seen it before, but I'm not going to get into the numbers, but it's um, it, it's certainly worth uh, worth any one of your uh, any, any one of your listeners, at least to see, see how that works. You, when, you, when, when your eyes get opened on this stuff, you really understand, you know, how banks are masters of eliminating risk and maximizing return. Yes, I love I love uh, private money lending. And I always say I want my money out there making friends. And it's a good vehicle to do that. So <laughs> I love really, that. Yeah, <laughs> it's really exciting. I, I think I'm passionate about private lending as much as you are about the participating whole life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's really um it's really addictive and I think, and it's beneficial for, um, you know, you're helping oftentimes other investors and um, it's a passive way to kind of invest in real estate. So it's a great, it's a great tool. I love it. So awesome. Okay. And so I don't know if it's changed since our last podcast interview, but where is your happy place these days? (laughs) Oh, geez, my happy place is, well, I guess uh, this summer was the cottage. It was definitely a good retreat for the couple of weeks we, we spent the first week of July and the last week of August. Um, but yeah, so now that we're back into uh, my, my daughter just started university, so she's playing collegiate rugby. So my happy place is going to be on the sidelines. She already played one game last week, but it was up in Fredericton, so I didn't go. Awesome. So they're, uh, but they're they're at home this weekend. So I'll be that's where, where my happy place will be on the sideline of that game. So fantastic! That'll be awesome. And how can our listeners reach out to you to find out more? Sure, they can. Uh, they can visit the website scottgannon.com. Uh, my mobile number nine zero two four seven eight twenty six twenty. And of course, my email is the same, almost same as the website scott at scottgannon.com. Perfect. I'm easy to find. Just keep Google my name. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're kind of famous. They'll find you for sure. Well, we go that far. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming again on the podcast with us. Awesome. Thank you, Jenna. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Happy Place podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, stay cozy and kind.